Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College, Emory, Virginia. My name is John Schock. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Most of the time I spend on this program is to draw out through conversation the ideas of interesting people in our region and around the country. Before I get to today's guest, I want to offer a little self-reflection. I write a blog called Shuck and Jive. You can find it at shuckandjive.org. I recently wrote a post called Religion for This Life. I have edited it for radio. I like to switch religions every now and then just to keep things fresh. Here's my latest. I call it a religion for this life. The astute listener will notice that the title of my new religion echoes the title of this radio program. Here are a few of its non-doctrines. It comes from Christianity. I call it Christian naturalism. The basic belief of my version of Christian naturalism is that this universe is cool enough for me. I cannot prove this belief is true. My religion operates by trust. I trust that this universe is fine for me. My religion believes that the scientific method is pretty good and that public knowledge is more trustworthy than private revelation. I think human beings are special and unique. We're the only beings we know of so far that exhibit a level of consciousness that can comprehend the universe. I think it's good for humans to stay around, and it would be wise if we learned to live compatibly with our environment so that we can do so for millions of years into the future. God and the gods function in my religion as human creations. They are products of the human imagination, which is a product of the universe, as is consciousness, love, art, and everything else. Of course, I like to read and reflect on the Bible and other religious texts as human creations and to reflect on other human works. Jesus is there. He plays a large role in my religion. He's an historical person that I have reconstructed with the help of others. He's also a fictional character. When I see him as a fictional character, I'm mostly interested in the authors who created him. I love Jesus. I love Buddha, too, and Krishna, even Gilgamesh. But at the end of the day, Jesus is my man. That's probably because I feel at home with him. I love church. My religion is happy with church, even with Presbyterians. Uh, Presbyterians, on average, have changed for the better. They used to be pretty intolerant. Now, rather than burn heretics and witches, they prefer to form committees to study the issue. I believe in goodness. I believe in justice. I like the concept of what Buddhist Joanna Macy calls the great ball of merit. All of our good deeds, all acts of love and compassion are not lost, but can be visualized as gathered into a great ball that can provide healing for the earth. I like that. That gives me hope. I think religion has important tasks, one of which is to help people cope with the contingencies of life. Another task is to provide permission and resources so people can create their own religion. Yet another task is to help people develop an internal moral compass in order to live well and to engage the powers that be. And I believe in potlucks, lots of potlucks. One of the benefits of hosting this program, Religion for Life, is that I get to meet some interesting and awake people. This beautiful corner of southern Appalachia contains many treasures, many jewels that might pass by unnoticed if we are not awake. One of the jewels is the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center in Johnson City. My guest is one of the founding mothers of the center, Marina Munjal. Marina works, or not works, volunteers. Volunteers. At the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center. And this is from the website. Marina grew up in Ohio with a statue of the Buddha in the study and a church home at a Unitarian fellowship. 
She's one of the founding mothers of the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center and began building Buddhist community in the Tri-Cities when she helped initiate the Holston Valley Sangha in July of 2001. She's been active in the Buddhist prison ministry since 2003 at Lee County, Virginia Federal Prison, which has continued to the present time and has helped develop an extensive library of Buddhist books, recordings, and movies now housed at Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center. She also offers community outreach on the subject of Buddhism and has presented to the Holston Valley Unitarian Universalist Church and Kingsport High School history classes. Welcome, Marina, to Religion for Life. Thank you. It's great to be here. Tell me about the statue of the Buddha in your home where you grew up and, and what that meant. The meaning was that my mother was very open-minded, and so as we grew up in a community, uh, we we were in the neighborhood of the hospital, so there were a lot of interns from uh, foreign countries and a lot of Indian neighbors, and she always kind of invited them over, so we had a very um, interesting upbringing, you know, with a lot of people coming and sharing ideas and everything, and I feel very grateful for that. To have, you know, had her encourage open-mindedness in our in our education. So, how did you come to embrace Buddhism as a as a religion or as a philosophy? Or you tell me the word. Uh, as a spiritual path is okay. what I is what I'll how I will call it for myself. Um, you know, it it all it came in and out. In the introduction, was the Buddha in the study? And um, and I grew, you know, I went through school in the 70s, so there was that um, emphasis or curiosity at that time, and, and kind of an introduction of it to to current um, spiritual offerings in the United States, which I think before then it had been pretty obscure. But about 1950s, it started to come. So by the 60s and 70s, there was that whole rush to go to India and explore Eastern religions. So. Being in college at that time, I was aware of it and kind of got introduced to it. Never went in too far. Um, my husband is from India. He's a Hindu, so there was that mm. connection as well. So, I, you know, it, it was always on the periphery. And I think for me, as with a lot of people, you come to it at difficult times when you're searching for something to make, to hold on to a life raft or something like that. And I can say... Um, completely that it was the life raft. It was a life raft. Is there anything specific about it that, that was a life raft? Uh, the philosophies, and it'd, it'd be, to go into them right now, the philosophies on emptiness, interconnectedness, um, nothing, everything changes, nothing stays the same, you know, and, and there's, there's more of a karmic philosophy and a lot of more detailed issues that you turn to you know, when you're looking to make sense of it all, you know, the, the difficult things that come along. And it was very helpful and has been. And is it the philosophy and, and, and the practice is really meditation? Is that correct? It's a method. It, it, yes, it, it is a practice. And it's not, you know, um, only Buddhism that could use this. It's, it, it's, it's a mind practice as far as meditation. But um, Buddhists have developed it to such an extent that it's identified with Buddhists more, I think. And um, it's a quieting of the mind so that you have an opportunity to know your mind. And ultimately, I think, seek liberation from the um, confines of a mind that's been uh, set with patterns 
you know, that are not necessarily your own ideas, but that you've grown up with and have, have developed over time that you need to look at sometimes. Almost a deconstruction. Yes, yeah, and they'll, they'll uh, compare it sometimes to like peeling off the, the layers of the onion mm-hmm. to get to, you know, you know you, you're born, somebody names you something, and as soon as you're named, you start becoming something. They tell you to do this, do that, do this, you're taught this and not that, and so you, you've kind of accumulated this identity. So with meditation, you begin to see, can separate, can, can find out what really is... Um, important and what your own ideals are. My guest is Marina Moonjal. She is, according to the website, the founding mother of the Appalachian a. Dharma and Meditation Center. A founding one mother, of, one, yeah. of yeah. one of. Tell me about uh, the center. Some some of the basics. It's it's on it's in Midtown in Johnson right. City, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, one hundred eight West Tenth Avenue. Uh, that's uh, Rebecca Nunley's dentist yes. office building. And it's wonderful space. Yeah. And and, and in fact, one hundred eight had a, a meaning for you. Right. It's an auspicious number in um, both Buddhism and Hinduism. But it, it's like the mala that you that you wear around your wrist has eight, 108 beads, you know, and it's it's a it's I think comes out of Hindu um, astrology somehow with the, the sky and everything. But it's always considered a very auspicious number. And so this is all volunteer, right? You, and but you have expenses or right? We pay rent and insurance. I mean, we've got it down to and a, a lot of volunteer effort. I mean, as I told you earlier, it comes out of um, it's a community generated center. It's grassroots. We don't have a particular lineage, a teacher that we that we have. It's um, a need we felt that we wanted to fulfill. So it's a a tremendous resource center. We have an extensive library of books and um, CDs from great teachers. Uh, We have the space to meditate. We have Zafus and Zabutons for people who sit on the floor. We have comfortable chairs. Tell me what those names are. The Zafu is the cushion, um, a high-up cushion that you sit on. A Zabuton goes under that so that your your feet, your ankles stay comfortable and you can sit comfortably for a longer period of time. So it's, it's a very comfortable place. So how many people participate? That's kind of let's see. There are three three different groups practicing right now, and hopefully we'll get the um, Tibetan uh, element engaged soon. But we have you know the the Western Buddhism, which is what I'm involved in, and that's that has more or less to do with current um, interpretations and um, teachers that did come out of the '70s have have actually recently produced a tremendous amount of material. You know, when, when we started, I will, this is going to digress a little bit, but when we started uh, about 11 years ago, the, the literature was pretty s- scarce. And now there is so much wonderful stuff coming out that our library has expanded considerably. So this is uh, information books written by, say, Americans. Jack Cornfield or and uh, Pema Stephen, Chodron. Okay. S- uh, Stephen Levine is wonderful. There's just too many. to mm-hmm. you know, and, and young people, too, you know, like uh, Stephen Levine's son, Noah Levine, you know, who I met at Floyd Fest. He's teaching now. And uh, so that's what the, the Western tradition, basically, that's what we use. We on Friday nights we use we read a book, we read it out loud to each other, and stop at any point and you know to be able to discuss the ideas, 
And um, we sit in meditation for a half hour first, and then we come and discuss and have tea, and it's very relaxed. Um, on Sunday, the Zen group meets, and that's led by Steve Ferguson. And um, they meet from 5 to 6.30. On Tuesdays is the Vipassana meditation, which is totally silent. Now, we've had a guest teacher come, Laura Gambrell, and she's... Uh, very versed in it. She's been, uh, I've got her master's at Naropa and um, has been teaching it in Blacksburg for a while. So she's come and, and done several sessions to lead Vipassana. But with Vipassana, it's a lot of what you do on your own. And once you have the instruction, it's up to you then. So these three different groups then mm -hmm. each have their own time yes. each week. Right. And that's all on the website, by the way, it which is, is a Dharma for ET, D H A R M A, number four ET. Dot org. You could Google Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center and also find the website, which is a very nice website, by the way, and it, it explains it all. Uh, what basic things? What's Dharma mean? Dharma is the, the teachings of the Buddha as, as, as used in Buddhism, and it's, um, I hesitate to say the teachings of the ultimate truth because it's not only, I mean, this is not the only ultimate truth, I mean, but as taught by Buddhism. Would it be know? kind of the base, like the Four Noble yes. Truths and then the Eightfold it's Path? The is that Okay, and more than that as oh, yeah, well? Yeah, Much yeah. more than that. Yeah. So if I, when you read a book, in a sense, from even a Western commentary, yes. would that be considered Dharma? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's the teaching and the conversation that all of that happens. Yes. All right. Because we, we use the three jewels, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha are the elements of, of, of Buddhism. And the Sangha is like is the community. The, the community. Okay. Traditionally, it's it's the um, the teachers, but has come come to be known as the community that supports the Buddhist practice. And anyone is welcome to come to any of these groups, yes. even if they don't have any experience or anything. Always. Yeah. So how many people do you have at each one in general? Oh, it varies tremendously. I mean, sometimes, especially now, the ETSU students come. It's the end of the semester, and they're coming for their, you know, world religions class okay. uh, credit there they get. But um, it can be anywhere from generally, I don't know, 12 to sitting by myself, you know. Okay. And uh, any of the groups are about like that. And I would imagine that that is somewhat of a challenge in and of itself to have uh, uh, not knowing who's going to be there yeah. each week, or but that's okay it, it, because it is, you're kind of open to anyone who comes. Right. Well, like last week we had two students come, and uh, we just put aside the reading because it was important to, re to relate and answer their questions and, and uh, help them understand what we do there. My guest is Marina Munjal of the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center in Johnson City uh, in Midtown, 108 to 10th Avenue, um, you can go, and, and, and it's open to anyone. At reading the vision on the webpage, it says the vision of the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center is to facilitate a community of Buddhist practice that fosters the integration of wisdom and compassion. Our aim as individuals and as a community is to cultivate insight into the nature of mind and reality and overcome ego-oriented ways of being. We're a non-sectarian Buddhist center that offers weekly programs in Vipassana, Zen, Tibetan, and Western Buddhism. You know, I think that Buddhism is very attractive in the sense that um, it doesn't require a lot of beliefs to get in. <laughs> I'm, I'm, is that true? I don't know. Maybe that isn't. Maybe that isn't accurate. You start I'm thinking where you are. You start where you are. And you know, it, it, the Buddha taught, try it on. If it fits, you know, move with it. You know, if 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 you don't, if it doesn't 
if you don't hear the the meaning, then you know it's not for you. But but it's an experiential type of thing. And you know when they give the eightfold path, um, these are the Buddha's ideas on how to lead a good life. You know how to reach um, enlightenment. And you try it on if you don't quite, you know, it doesn't quite fit. You work into it sometimes. There's a lot of flexibility in it. Ultimately, this is what works if, you know, if, if you're there. So it's, it's, it's where the individual is and how you, how you deal with it. And everybody comes at a different place. So there, you hear things differently. And So a person, let's say, who might be... I don't know, secular, not very religious, who kind of lives in the universe and says, that's that's cool enough for me, and, and this is my life. I'm not necessarily into a lot of supernatural things, but I do want to um, uh, have a bigger awareness of who I am in the picture and, and come to some personal peace or perhaps whatever, uh, social justice or anything like that. Would this be a, a place to, to attend? You will get different opinions from everybody you ask. In my opinion, yes because I am pretty much there. I'm not um, oriented in the supernatural. And I've always, anytime I've studied, it has been, what does this mean to my life and the life on this planet? I'm not looking for ultimate answers. Um, There's enough to accomplish, in my opinion, you know, with what we have. Yeah. You bring also guests. I um I know in April you brought um uh, a, a Tibetan Rinpoche, yes. So that's an excellent service that you provide for the Tri Cities is bringing people from all over the world and enhancing the experience of spirituality here. I hope so. You know, it's to me it's it's incredible. You know, I'm I'm really excited about it. What are some things that you would love to see society get about Buddhism? Or what don't we know about Buddhism that that we should um, know? That's hard to say because I've known so much a long time. Um, the compassionate orientation and the non-judgmentalness of it is is something that I really appreciate because the judgment is a painful experience, and um, I don't feel that. And certainly, you know, every individual t- exhibits it in their own way. But I have always felt that um, there's an emphasis on non-judgment, and they're um, receptive of any other path. There's no judgment there, you know, atheists to firm, you know, uh, believers in other faiths. But this is a philosophy that makes it, um, helps you live a better life. My guest is Marina Munjal of the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center in Johnson City, talking about uh, the work of the center and talking about Buddhism in general. Um, So is the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center involved in outside things, charity or justice making or anything like that, or is that up to the individual? Yeah, we would like to be, but currently we're just kind of getting our feet. We will be, have, let's see, we in one year in June in, our, in the building where we are, and we really had not been a group before that. So it's, we're still really new and trying to um, establish ourselves there. And I know that is one of our ultimate goals. Um, it also came out of the uh, 
Holston Valley Sangha, which I have been involved in for 11 years. We still meet one day a week at um, the Unitarian Church in Gray, Holston Valley Unitarian Universalist Church. And in that capacity, about seven, maybe longer than that, seven or eight years ago, the prison in uh, Lee County, Virginia, asked us if we would, you know, participate, if we would come and meet with the Buddhist prisoners. So I have been doing that for that amount of time. And that's been our pretty much only outreach program, you know, as far as volunteer efforts in the community. So you've been really in this building less than a year. Yes. So it's new. You're figuring yeah. your, your way around. Because and... we didn't really start until September. We kind of got it ready and everything. So that's been a, a big effort in that and a lot of support from people to make it a wonderful space. Tell me more about the sessions themselves, perhaps the session that you lead. Um, it, well, when you meditate silently for a half hour, is that difficult to do? Uh, not now. <laughs> But it's a practice. And, and one thing that's interesting, you asked what might people not know, and it's, it's the mm-hmm. um, current uh, interest in combining science and meditation. And uh, there's like Rick Hansen has published a book, and it's called Buddha's Brain. And he's a neuroscience scientist. And so there's that... Um, working together and what he says it, there's a lot of information there and I've just started looking into it and I'm no scientist by any means but it's um, he always says the neurons that fire together wire together that the mind can change the brain and the brain can change the mind there's a you know a give and take in both regards so that when you sit down to meditate the first time may be very very difficult and you can maybe only sit for two minutes, and then you're just you have to get up. And I think some a lot of where the difficulty may come is in the um, coming back to the practice again and again, doing it regularly, setting up a time, maybe you know working five minutes, and and starting to get comfortable with that, and adding little and little, because when you're doing that, you're changing the actual physicality of your brain that makes it possible like Tuesdays we sit for one hour straight now that is the that's the Vipassana Vipassana session session. yeah and and it's in in silence there's no nothing going on for one hour and it was difficult at first and now I look forward to it because something happens once you give the time for your brain to settle you know yeah you start out with all kinds of thoughts firing up you're coming coming from the big wide world you know of Mm -hmm. activity and everything so it takes a while. And you know what you do is you kind of watch the thoughts. Vipassana teaches, you know, the first instruction is on the breath, watching the breath, and you keep coming back to that. Yeah, you're going to have thoughts. You learn to label them as just a thought. Oh, I'm thinking, and let it go like clouds in the sky is what they say. So um, after a while, you look forward to that opportunity. And on every second Saturday, we have a four-hour meditation session. And that's kind of broken up. It's not just sitting for four hours. We do a, a walking meditation, mindful eating. We'll have a Dharma talk. But the more time you spend in it, the more you feel the benefits of it and are more attracted. But it is an effort. It is, a you know, an intention to... And that comes, and that sense that actually does have a physical effect. So um, this meditation is actually changing the structure of your brain, making it more 
what peaceful uh, yes. euf- euphoric yeah. or would that be too strong of a word? Well, it's 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 what you're putting in, and okay. you know what you're putting into your mind, and the, that will be reinforced. It's like exercise, you know. It's like if you keep pumping iron, you're going to get strong muscles, but in your brain, if you if you relax, relax, then you're you're um, strengthening that aspect of your brain. If you if you go to violence, and that's why they have a lot of practices like metta, loving kindness practice, that you can do daily, and it actually changes the way you see things. And I'm I can tell you it does. You it know? changes the way your outlook on oh my, the world completely. Yeah, your reactions to things. Like I look at myself sometimes, and it's like, where did that come from? I'm so you know peaceful and um, content that I'm I'm not giving the same response as I did ten years ago, and it's not an effort. At first, it may be, you know, when you when you do the the meta, may all beings be be happy, be healthy, you know, live in peace. It's it's you know kind of uh, uh, maybe not forced, but um, you have you tell yourself to do it, and after a while, you really start to feel like that, and your whole attitude changes, and your reactions change. So you learn by practicing. So when people mm-hmm. say to me every now and then, I, I don't, can't do meditation, I'm not very good at it, the kind of the advice would be just give it another try, yeah. keep at it. Yeah. I mean, try another technique maybe. What are some of the techniques that you use for meditation? You mentioned about watching the breath. Right, watching the breath. And that goes into watching the sensations in the body. And then ultimately you, you um, become aware of awareness itself. And that's the Vipassana tradition. Um, there are like you can use the mala as a as a mantra. You know, there's sound meditation. Mala is the mala the is beads the, the beads the... that, that uh, almost like a rosary or something. But you you count each bead, and there's there's a method to doing it. But it's a, it's a concentration then to bring to bring the attention back to bring the attention back. There's walking meditation, and there's a method for that as well. You know that you would learn, and with mindful eating, which is is probably one of the hardest things because you sit with a group of people and you are mindful of what you're eating and not talking to anybody. Usually, like, Saturdays are done in noble silence. And so to sit there with a group of people, you're used to, you know, being uh, sociable and everything. But this is a really incredible experience because you really know what you're doing and what you're eating, and it's so more, so much more satisfying. You're paying attention because be- yeah. in, in a fast food age, we just eat as if we're like cattle or something. And you don't, but you don't, you're not even you don't even know you did it. You right. Know? I remember Teek Nhat Han said, "Chew your milk." I thought that was, <laughs> and I think what he, what he meant was just right. really take pay, and pay know attention what you're to doing. what's going on. And that, that's a big, big area is mindfulness. And there's, I know in education, um, and again, there's another writer who just put out a book, um, Tim Ryan from Ohio. He's actually a congressman. And he wrote a book on mindfulness in government, politics, and education. And there is an emphasis, again, on trying to introduce mindfulness into those areas. And I, I'm like, oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Oh, we are just just out of time. We have another minute or so. Is there any a final word that uh, that you can uh, offer to us? My guest is Marina Munjal of the Appalachian Dharma and Meditation Center. Maybe where 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 it is again, and and how people can get in contact with you. It's at 108 West 10th Avenue, Rebecca Nunley's dental office. For th- those who might know, and it's in Johnson City. Um, our hours are on the website www. Dharma, the number four, ET, dot org. And anyone is welcome to come at any time we and participate. We would love that, yes. 
Thank you, Marina, for being a guest on Religion for Life. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. You have been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and links to podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.